Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it, we back it. Welcome to the show, Tara Moore, coach and author of Plain Big, an amazing book about leadership and the inner critic we all have to overcome. The book, to be honest, had a profound impact on me and I recommend it to friends and colleagues all of the time. So Tara, you believe we all have big callings, but we often delay acting on them. How do people even recognise a calling? Mm. Well, my definition of a calling is the assignment that we each get to bring light or love into the world in some particular way. And the word assignment is important because we don't totally get to choose our callings. We often have this sense of "Mm, this might be inconvenient or I don't even understand why this makes sense for me, yet I feel called to help this problem or need or make a difference around something um, in, in a particular way. And we can recognize a calling in two ways. One is you might have an idea that keeps nagging at you for something you want to create or um, help to improve in the world. Or on the other side of the coin, you might not have the idea, but you might simply feel a particularly strong pain or frustration about something in the world. Those are indicators that there could be a calling in there for you. Often there's a but and we have that question one we're exploring today in today's show, which is, can I really do it? And it's often that inner uh, voice, that inner sense of doubt, fear that sets us back. And you've identified two types of fears that can do that. What are they? My uh, concepts for fear are actually very ancient ones. They aren't my own, and they come from all the way back in the Old Testament language. The first kind, the Hebrew word is pachad. It's a fear of projected things or imagined things. So when we imagine the worst case scenario that might happen, when we think of going for that calling and think, well, what if I completely bankrupt my family in the process? Or what if everyone is laughing at me and I humiliate myself? That's that pachad worst case scenario, projecting the movie of what might happen in the future kind of fear. And that kind of fear we know from a lot of neuroscience and a lot of research is usually overreactive. It's there to try and protect us from any possible risks, but not really from the probable risks. The other kind of fear is yira. The feeling we feel when we are inhabiting a larger space than we're used to. And you can think of that as a literal space, like maybe you are giving a presentation to a bigger audience than ever before, or you are sitting at the head of the conference table for the first time in a business meeting. It might be a literal space or it might be a metaphorically bigger space in some way, but you're stepping into a bigger space and there's a kind of fear that goes with that. The thing people I think will recognise in all of that as well then is that we play on our inner critic, as you call it, and that nagging, stubborn voice of self-doubt. How do we tame that? How do we overcome it? The inner critic is a part of this journey for all of us. And I think a lot of us don't realise that everyone's got an inner critic voice and that the thoughts we're hearing, like you're not good enough, you could never do that, you're not ready yet, 
um, you should go get another degree before you do that. That's not our best thinking. That's actually this thing we can learn to recognize as the voice of the inner critic. And another big mistake a lot of us make is thinking that we can get rid of the inner critic, that once we have more experience or we're older, we'll become confident. I can tell you not only from working with thousands of people around self-doubt, but also from all the research on self-doubt, that it does not go away. Um, For example, there's a study of um, corporate women in the U.S., large-scale study that showed executive-level women their confidence levels are not actually much different from junior entry-level women. For example, I just heard Diane von Furstenberg saying, about two days of the week, I still feel like a loser when I wake up. Or the first female dean of engineering at Harvard, Sherry Murray, saying, every day I feel unqualified for my job. I believe we don't want to wait on confidence, and we don't need to become confident to pursue our dreams. But we do need to have a new relationship with that self-doubt. And that new relationship is really not being unconscious about it, but knowing, oh, I'm hearing my inner critic right now. I know that's not the voice of truth. And having some strategies to have other parts of yourself lead. One of the eureka moments for me in the book was your association with that level of self-doubt. Me, myself, I've thought many times about doing an MBA. And then sometimes I rationalise, I I do some critical thinking and I go, well, I'm living an MBA. How do we kind of separate out the inner critic from the critical thinking part of our brain that is right, that says, actually, you don't have the experience, you do need the master's? The way to pull those apart is to really think about how do the thoughts and that voice sound in your head? The inner critic is going to be very repetitive, just like harping on the same self-doubts over and over again. And it's not looking for a solution. It's not looking for the real data and information. So you might, for example, think about proposing an idea to your boss and then notice every time you start to think about it, you have a thought like, well, I'm probably not ready yet and that's not a good idea and someone else probably would have said it already if it was a good idea. And if you notice you just get stuck looping in those thoughts, you're hearing your inner critic. If you're really doing that good critical thinking, it might sound like this. I'd really like to pitch that idea to my boss, but there's some uncertainty here. I don't know if the idea is well-formed enough. I don't know if it's going to go over well. I'm not sure if this idea has been covered already. Okay, how can I find out more about that? Let me go talk to someone who has more history in the company around that area and find out you know, what ground has been covered. Let me test out this idea with so-and-so and let me refine it a little bit. Let me, you know, let me think through what's the worst that could actually is likely to happen if I were to pitch it. So you'll immediately move to solutions and next steps if you're really dealing with your good critical thinking. And sending the email, the pitch to your boss. I was thinking of so many emails I've seen in the past that start with, I'm sorry, would you mind? Or I'm not an expert in this, but give me some examples of where we need to become more aware of our own language and how we change it. Yeah, well, the speech patterns like the ones you're mentioning, they're particularly used by women and by other individuals who have low levels of power or are marginalized in a culture or in a workplace. And so they can be ways that 
those individuals are trying to get their voice heard while also negotiating this tough place of, as a woman, if I say this too aggressively, I'm going to get punished for it. So I don't want to blame anyone for using those strategies, but they can sometimes be ineffective ways of actually managing that. For example, when we write an email with, I just need a little bit of your time for this thing that's really important to me. We're saying this isn't important enough and I'm not important enough to take up real time. Or another common one is to say, did that make sense? Which is well intended, but is actually implying, I don't even know if I'm clear. For example, instead of saying, did that make sense? We can say, I really look forward to hearing your thoughts and questions about that. So I'm still expressing I care what you think, but not by diminishing myself. One of the other ways that strikes me that we need to change some of our unconscious biases, our language, is then around unhooking from praise and criticism. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about practical things we can do there and why that's important in terms of this mantra of playing big. Yeah, yeah. And so often when people hear that phrase, they think at first, you know, why do I need to do that? Feedback really helps me in my work and in my career. And it can help us, but what I noticed in my own life and in my coaching practice and among my friends is that a lot of us were getting really stuck for reasons having to do with either being very dependent on other people's praise and gold stars and approval or being really wounded by criticism we'd received or even paralyzed by criticism we were afraid of maybe receiving. And so we do want to become a lot less sensitive to praise and criticism. And that's particularly hard for women because we've been trained be relational and attuned to others. There are a lot of different ways we can do it. But one that I invite people to kind of try on today is to think about whenever you get feedback to ask the question, If I were to let this feedback be information, not about myself, but information about the person giving me the feedback, what does it tell me about them? What does it tell me about their preferences or their priorities? Let's say my boss says to me, you know, you're a great project manager, but you need to get more organized in your own work or something like that. Does that tell me any facts about me? It really doesn't, right? But we do have some information about this boss and what they value or what part of your work that boss is seeing and even has access to. And once we get that feedback is that, it's information about the person giving it, it doesn't mean we dismiss it or ignore it, but we no longer take it as a verdict on how we measure up. We take it as really valuable information about the people we may want to work with and collaborate with. So let's say people do that exercise. They're starting to unhook from the criticism. They're starting to figure out what their calling is or the assignment you talked about earlier. They're starting to tame that inner critic, which never goes away. Let's make the jump into then inner sensor, your inner wisdom. How do people figure that out? Women and people who are in other ways marginalized are often told, you know, find that great mentor who can help you climb the ladder. But a lot of times those mentors don't exist. And even when they do, 
their guidance is really incomplete because it's not going to be the whole story of what's right for each of us individually. But there is this sense of our inner wisdom or what I call our inner mentor. And in the Playing Big book, there's a visualization that you can go through to come into contact with that part of yourself. And it's also, if you want to just do the audio, you can find the audio of it on my website. Yeah, I can testify. I did that meditation. I'm terrible at meditation normally, but it was super impactful for me. And I have a great sense of who and what I want to be when I'm age 65. So highly recommended to everyone. Maybe just to end on, Tara, the time of COVID, massive period of uncertainty for people. They're hitting a reset in some scenarios. What practical piece of uh, advice or wisdom would you leave them with today that people are listening to you going, that's all very well and good, but these are difficult times? Let me say with everything we've been talking about, I have never met a calling that cared if it was the way that the bills got paid. So all this stuff we're talking about, it's lovely if you can find a way to make your passion also be the ways that that your bills get paid. But what's more important is to find a space in your life to practice what you're passionate about. And then more broadly, I think it's just incredibly important that we keep our, our mental health and our emotional health strong in these times by really thinking about what is vital for your well-being and joy. And I, I think of this as like identify your top three. Maybe it's taking that walk every day, exchanging um, video messages with some great kids in your life and um, volunteering. What are your top three? It's different for everyone and really get rigorous about practicing that because We've had tough times already, and at least here in the U.S., you know, I know we're all preparing for tougher times. And so it's so critical that we do the things that keep us well and sustain us, even when we probably have to do them in entirely new ways now and invent new routines and strategies for making that happen. Tara Moore, author of Playing Big, thank you. 